So this is a Psalm of David, and uh, I'm going to read that for you. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can grab them, turn to Psalm 63. We're going to read its entirety. Uh, we're going to focus most of our attention on the first uh, six or so verses, but uh, they all create impact. And I want you to take notice as I read uh, Psalm 63 here, the personal pronouns. That's the I's and the me's, all those kind of things. So you see right away that this is an intensely intentionally personal song that David wrote. And there are circumstances that surround that, but it is very, very important for us to listen and encourage us. So we're going to hope that, that you'll gain lots from this. So let's read this here. Verse 1, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So just keep that right there, and we're going to push through the next number of minutes here. There's four things that I want to share with you this morning, four points that will drive out of Psalm 63. Number one, determine your reality. Number two, declare your allegiance. Number three, decision. Choose God over everything and anything. And number four, delight in God. Those are the four points we're going to leave you with today. So let's unpack those. Well, my home uh, renovating skills have uh, been on display and put to the test over the years, and I'm sure many of you can identify with me. One would think and believe that improvement would be expected. I'm not so sure. I am a self-proclaimed, passionate do-it-yourselfer, or Mennonite. <laughs> this winter, I decided to spruce up the basement and one of the projects was to remove that ugly T-bar ceiling and replace it with drywall. The project always moves along slowly, and my son Cody was helping me with the drywall. It's kind of a two-man project there. And so as we ripped off the T-bar ceiling and began installing the new drywall, I noticed there was, in between the floor joists, there was this one lonely, flimsy, out-of-place, useless copper pipe. I assumed it was a dead-end pipe with no real purpose. I tried to figure out where it came from, what it was doing, but it seemed absolutely useless. It needed to go. I moved it around, I slapped it, I bent it. I says, this has got to go. I grabbed my pipe cutter out of my toolbox, and like a professional plumber, I circled that pipe once, tightened it, circled it twice, tightened it one more time, circled it the third time, boom, Niagara Falls in my face. 
well, are you kidding me? I'm screaming. I said, what? You know, and do you know how many gallons of water goes through a half inch copper pipe? You know, this is some serious disposal right there. So I'm not only very, very wet, but I'm also in trouble. So what do you do, Ron, when you're in trouble and your renovation skills have once again met the deepest of lows? You yell for help. And so I yelled, and the only one home, thank goodness, was Cody. Nancy was nowhere to be found, which usually happens when I renovate. I yelled for help. Cody comes running down. And as he's coming down the stairs, he is critiquing my renovation skills as he grabs a large plastic tote box to gather and catch this monsoon that's coming from our ceiling that I had just created. So I now run for the shutoff, water shutoff valve, which, by the way, is located in the farthest corner of the house and extremely hard to get. And may I point out here, to those of you who build houses, you construction people, why do you put those things in the hardest to reach places and the most awkward places? Come on, let's think about this. They should be near me at all times. So anyway, so I run for that water shutoff valve, get it shut off, and boy, oh boy, was there a mess. What a mess. And again, I'm very thankful that Nancy is not home. And Cody and I used every towel that we had in the house to sop up that mess. And that, my folks, is one of the stories of my uh, renovation days. The message is entitled Push Pause. Push Pause, play Psalms. Aren't there moments in your life when you just wish you would have pushed pause before you did something, said something, all those kinds of things. Well, you know what? This is a Psalms that speaks right into that. This speaks right into push pause. And I don't know what your week is like, what it's been like, the phone calls that you've received, the messages that you've received, the conversations that you've had, those are good, those were not good. Whether you are doing well or you're not doing so well. But there are moments and times, whether you're high and going, things are going well, or things are really bottoming out for you right now, it's important to place, to push that pause button and look at Psalm 63. So that's where we want to go today. And that's where we're going to happen is we push pause and we look at those four things that I mentioned. So the first point is determine your reality. Determine your reality. We're in Psalm 63, where David pens a song that cries out to God from the wilderness of Judah. And so the moment that you see that, you're going to think, okay, what's David doing in the wilderness? He's a king. It says that in verse 11, that he's a king. So he's in the wilderness. Well, there's a reason why he's in the wilderness. David now is a king without a home. He's a king without a throne. He's a king without a sanctuary. He's a king without his family. In fact, his own son, Absalom, has rebelled against him and has chased him into the wilderness. It's all a rebellion against David. The very things that he thought were his are no longer his. It's all gone. He's somewheres in the desert of Judah. He cries out to God. He writes this psalm. Psalm 63 is about a relationship. A loving, committed relationship with God. David uses 17 personal pronouns here to emphasize his relationship with God. Biblical faith often requires us to journey into the wilderness, doesn't it? And so what is your reality today? That is a question that only you can ask. 
Determine your reality. Where are you at with God? I, I can't tell you. I can maybe, you know, many of you I know, many of you I don't know. But if we were to sit down and have a cup of coffee together and I'd say, tell me your reality of God. Tell me where you're at with God. Tell me where your heart is at. See, that's an important question for us all today. That's an important question for us all here at all times. What is your reality? Where is, where is and how is your heart today? The, this is the question for each of us as we go through these verses. This is not unfamiliar territory throughout Scripture, as you well know. Even Jesus, when he was asked by the Pharisees in Mark chapter 12, he says, what is the most important commandment of all? Like, what's most important here? Well, Jesus had an answer in verse 29. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now here's his answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Regardless, folks, regardless of what this last week looked like or what your reality actually is, whether it's good or unfortunate, whether circumstances or by choice, David declares in verse 1, you, God, are my God. In spite of being in the wilderness, in spite of being absent from his throne, from his home, from his city, from his sanctuary, his words were, you, God, are my God. You, God, are my God. Basically, there are only two views that come into perspective when we determine our own reality. There is a horizontal view and there is a vertical view. The horizontal view, or you could even say horizontal hope, like when everything is messed up and we all have lived in those worlds, just like when that water is gushing into my face and I'm saying, now what? You determine your reality very, very quickly. So whatever your reality is, wherever you are at right now, you have a choice of a horizontal view, a horizontal hope, a horizontal awe, or a vertical hope, or a vertical awe. Like, where am I turning? What is your first response when things are not maybe working out as they should? Or even when things are really going well, do we have a horizontal perspective or do we have a vertical perspective? A horizontal perspective means that I keep my eyes just on circumstances, means that I keep my eyes just on the things in front of me, or that I am my way out. I'll take care of this. I can deal with this. But there are moments when there is just you and God. And that's what David had here. You, God, are my God. So you need to define your own reality. Determine your reality with the idea that God loves you and desires that you love him in return with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Again, how's your heart today? Who gets to ask that question to you? Who gets to kind of dig deep and say, hey, how are you doing with God? You know, that's, that's an important question, isn't it? You know, we can come to church every weekend. We can be in community group. We can even serve and we can give and we can do all of those things. And yet, who really knows how my heart is doing? We do a phenomenal job and I speak to myself about hiding what's really going on in my heart. And that's the importance of doing Psalms. Psalms is one of those, that book that just says, it's all about my relationship with God. And folks, you need to know that that's exactly where we are today. So how is your heart? Number one, you got to determine your reality. Number two, declare your allegiance. 
You are my God. I'm in God. You know, my earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary or parched land where there is no water. Do you see the imagery that David is using here? Can you imagine being in a desert? Can you imagine being in a place where you know, absolutely have no idea where the next meal is coming from? Where is that next drink of water? I mean, you're parched. You're parched. It's beyond just being thirsty. This is talking about, I need to have it now. I need to have it now. That's the imagery that David, David uses here. We live in North America where, you know, for many of us, we don't need to really look very far for the next meal, for a, for a glass of water, for all of those things. We really don't. But I'm sure there's been moments and times in your life when you've been really, really thirsty, when you've been really, really hungry. But this goes way beyond that to that I'm starving and thirsting for God and God alone. And we kind of put that to the back burner at times. We don't, we don't emphasize that because, hey, I go to church. I, you know, I read my Bible. I crack it open every now and then. And I, and I and, oh, thirst, hunger, thirst, hunger. This is what, you know, David didn't say, hey, I want my throne back. He didn't say, I want my former way of living. I, I need servants. I need people to take care of me. I want my sanctuary back. You know, all of those that, in spite of all that he had lost, he probably was sleeping on the ground. He's in the desert. He's on the run. He didn't ask for that. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. Not for the things of this world. Not for the things that I call luxuries. No, he says, I thirst for you. And we can put a lot of good things instead of God. And David says, no. This is where your emphasis needs to be. This is where you need to be. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary or parched land where there is no water. That's what God wants. You see, declare your allegiance. Allegiance is all about affection and addiction filled with passion. And in many ways, and by the way, you know what? Is there anything really good that happens without passion? Like passionate about your marriage. Passionate about the person you love. Passionate about that sport that you love to play. Passionate about that, that, that person that just, you know, your family member that just, you know, all of those things. Your job, all of these things. Maybe you don't have, but you know what I mean? Passion brings that. Passion allows us to, to grab a hold of that. I'm somewhat of a passionate person at times, and I get excited about things, and long before... I knew Nancy before we even dated, got engaged, and then finally married. I was and always will be, hear this, a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. I know that's news for many of you, but that is true. Surprise, Nancy. Been married 30 years, 30 years, and my wife is still in awe of my addiction and passion for those Leafs. We were married in October, and once the wedding was done, honeymoon is over, we're settling into our house in Richmond. I assumed that my wife, who was born and raised in Toronto, praise be to God, would be totally supportive of my addiction. Not so much. Saturday night hockey was hockey night in Canada, for which many of you grew up and uh, watching, and I still do and love it. And that what I thought would be a marvelous addition and appreciation to our marriage was not so much. 
It was likely a couple of months into their marriage that, uh, you know, I realized that Nancy did not share that same affection and allegiance. And, and on one particular Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, Nancy was no longer at my side, cheering the Leafs on. However, I pressed on in faithfulness. <laughs> and on this particular Saturday, there was some unprecedented noise coming from the kitchen. And I picked this up, newly married, I thought, there's something wrong here. Doors were, were being shut rather loudly, okay? Pots and pans were, they were making noise that I'd never heard before, you know? There was like stomping of the feet at times. And so I pressed pause on the remote and I walked into the kitchen and sought to investigate this disturbance. And upon my arrival, Nancy blurts out, do they play every Saturday? <laughs> and I said something like this. I says, honey, just think about it. It's just like go to church on Sunday. We do it all the time. <laughs> that did not go over well, okay? The reasoning there somehow just kind of fell right off the map there, and I had to back up after that. But what I'm saying is, is that I'm incredibly passionate. I'm not afraid of my allegiance. And I think in our world of faith, this is exactly what David is talking about. He says, this is earnestly means that I seek you early and often. It's about priority. It's about priority. No one, get this, no one more than God wants you to grow spiritually. No one more than God wants you to grow spiritually. He is for you 100%. First Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. What an image, what an understanding that that is what exactly what God wants. He wants us to grow, to fall in love with the word of God, to fall in love with him more and more and more. Who owns your heart? Who owns your heart? Because that's where your allegiance will be. Because where your allegiance is, that's where your heart is. What do you worship? What do we worship? Worship is, just doesn't happen here. It's what we put our heart into. What are you passionate about? Where do you put your time? Where do you put your energy? Do you know God? We understand that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, that Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not about the church we attend. It's not about the last name that is attached to us or the heritage of our family or, 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 or uh, any of that. It's what's going on in your heart and who does your heart belong to? That is the question. That's why David could unequivocally say, you, God, are my God. You, God, are my God. That is allegiance. You understand then that our relationship with God is more than a ticket out of hell into heaven. It's not just about checking things off the list. It's about who owns your heart. Where is your allegiance? Where is your affection? Where is your passion? Number three, decision. Choose God over everything and anything. I love this. You know, when, when verse three, when it says, because your love is better than life. Now rest on that. Because your love is better than life? Are you kidding me? Most of us have it very, very good here in North America. We worship time and we worship money. We do. 
We don't want to be told what to do. We want to have plenty of time. We don't like getting old. We like to plan for time away and we want to have enough money to do it. We do that kind of thing. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But the understanding is, is do we choose to love God more than anything and everything? This decision is based on seeking God, that I will gladly acknowledge that God, loving God, is better than life. From here on in, every breath belongs to God. It's not a better marriage. It's not more money. It's not a better job. It's not my health. Whatever circumstances, those are all good. Those are all good. But whatever circumstances, whether it's good or bad, this is about having a legacy, a legacy, folks, that is driven by putting Christ at the very center of my life. That's where we're at. Paul said it in 121 of Philippians. He says, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He really struggled with this. He says, man, it would be so good to die and to be with Christ. It'd also be good to be here with you and to make an impact. And so I'm convinced that really what he's saying, he says, I don't think you're really ready to live for Christ if you're not ready to die for Christ. Real living is found in in, uh, Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Like who's watching us? Who's observing what we truly understand to be the most important part of our life? Decisions are being made every day, aren't they, whether or not I follow Christ. What is more important than God's love? Nothing, nothing. Your love, God, is better than life. It's an incredible statement. Harold, Rabbi Harold Krishner, Krishner said this. Most people aren't afraid to die. Rather, they are afraid to get to the end of their lives and discover that they've really never lived. What a sad story that would be at the end of your life. Say, I never, never really lived. You want to live? You want to really truly live? Live like verse 3 of Psalm 63 because your love is better than life. Always, always. Dan Pohl was a youth worker in Caprini Green in the inner city of Chicago where only gangs and very, very, very poor people lived. It was Chicago at the time that I was doing my master's studies in the early or late 80s was the murder capital of America. Typically, usually one murder per day in Chicago. So Dan Poole, this white boy who grew up in suburban Chicago, decided he would give his life to serving the Lord in Caprini Green. So he worked with this Christian organization, and he made it his job and his ministry to befriend young men who were in gangs. So Dan befriended this one Hispanic boy, part of a gang, named Enrique. Enrique was about 15 years of age. Dan took to Enrique, and Enrique took to Dan, and even a number of his friends. So much so that Dan convinced Enrique to come to a Bible camp in northern Wisconsin. Dan was pumped. Getting Enrique had never been outside the very uh, outside of Caprini Green, so for him to be at a lake and in a Bible camp, unbelievable. Well, wouldn't you know it? The Spirit of God moved in Enrique's life, and Enrique gave his life to the Lord. Dan was beside himself. He couldn't wait. This is what he had dreamed about, that somebody would come to know the Lord. Dan was pumped. On the car ride home, back to Chicago, however, 
Enrique became very quiet. Dan asked, uh, what's wrong, Enrique? After a moment of silence, Enrique said, um, I'll need to run the gauntlet. Dan said, what do you mean, gauntlet? What is that? Well, if you leave the gang, you only leave by death or by running the gauntlet. Where the gang members would stand facing each other, holding bats and chains and whatever else they had, and you would run through the gauntlet and they would beat you within an inch of your life. In other words, you don't leave the game. But now that I'm a Christian, Enrique says, I need to leave the game. Dan says, no way, no way, you're not doing that. You don't have to do that. That's not what this is about. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden, Dan's backtracking. And he said, no, I, that's, I'll talk to them, I'll talk to them. And, and Enrique said, no, you know, it's not going to make any difference. So Dan went with Enrique to the gang members, hoping that he could plead that Enrique would not have to go through the gauntlet. And as they arrived, and the gang was all there, and Enrique informed the gang leader that he had become a Christian and that he would no longer be part of the gang. The gang leader said, you know what happens. You'll have to do the gauntlet. And Enrique said, yes. Dan interrupted. He said, I'll, uh, no, no, we, we can talk about this. He doesn't have to do this. You know, this is a good thing. You know, all this kind of... Enrique said, Dan, it doesn't matter. Dan interrupted one more time. He says, I will take his place. Let me go through the gauntlet. The gang leader smiled and said, that would be great and probably wanted him to go through. But he says, no, this is Enrique. Dan felt absolutely helpless and hopeless. The gang lined up. Bats, chains, knuckle dusters, all of those things. Dan is sobbing. Enrique goes through. And they beat him and beat him and beat him. After it was all over, the gang leaves. Dan runs over, picks him up, and takes him to his car. His head is almost twice the size of normal. He is broken bones. He is bleeding he is barely conscious. He takes him to the hospital. He places them on a gurney. And as they're waiting, Dan is sobbing and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You can imagine the pain. Enrique musters up enough to say, Dan, I'd do it again. Jesus loves Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That's allegiance, folks. That's, that's a decision. That's saying, I'm all in, God. I love you better than life. And chances are, you and I are not going to run the gauntlet. But there may be gauntlets that you're running through right now. That you're wondering whether or not it's worth it to stay a Christian. Whether it's worth it to say it's all on the line. Whatever that means. That could be health. That could be relationships. That could be I'm so confused. I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's left. All of those things put together. And you can say, God, I'm giving up. And David says, you are my God. Your life, your love is better than life. Your love is better than life.
I'm all in, God. That's the decision. That's the decision. Is it God first in all things? Because the real question is, is where's your heart? Because that'll tell you. That'll tell you where it is. Lastly, delight in God. Because your life is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with the richest of foods, with singing lips. My mouth will praise you on my bed, in the watches of night. I think of you. How's your sleep? How did you sleep last night? Because this is where we delight in God. This is where it is. My lips will praise you with remembrance, with reflection and rest. Worship is not a feeling. It is a presence, the presence of the living God. Often we are in the wilderness, and that's where our wilderness turns into worship. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Delighting just doesn't happen here in church. It happens in our homes, around the dinner table. It happens in our living room. It happens on the job. It happens over the fence with a neighbor. It happens at a coffee shop. It happens when you're out with your friends. It happens whatever you're doing. It happens when you feel lonely, whether you're trapped or whether you're insecure. It's when you don't even know what's going on. We go back to the one phrase, you, God, are my God. The light shows up in our actual worship time when we serve and when we're in community with each other. You see, sometimes I see more discouragement, to be honest, than I see delight. Discouragement robs us of delight. In fact, I would say that discouragement often is somewhat of a cultural disease that we live in. We seem to be more prone to discouragement than anything else. Horizontal hope and awe versus a vertical hope and awe. Do you see where that tipping point is all the time? Howard Hendricks said this, discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out his heart. Are you leaning towards discouragement or are you leaning towards delight? Discouragement would be a a horizontal view. A vertical view brings us to delight in God, regardless of the circumstances that we face. Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith it is impossible to please God. Those who come to him must believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The summer of Psalms is meant for us to seek him, to seek him. So this week, perhaps you need to push pause, determine your reality, declare your allegiance, decision time, God over everything and anything, he's better than life, and delight in him. Let's pray together. Father, we are truly thankful this morning for the way that you have worked in our hearts and lives. You've drawn us to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the life that he gave us through the life, the death, and the resurrection that we now can have a personal relationship with you. And so I pray that Psalm 63 would be something that we would uh, go back to this week uh, willingly, willingly, whether things are going good or whether things are not so good. 
may we take to heart exactly all that you've given us. So thank you for each one here, Lord. Would you bless them, encourage them. May you draw them closer to you, Lord. May we live with impact and legacy to point others to Christ in all that we do. So thank you for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.